turn again with me tonight to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Looking once more at that very well-known portion that opens up chapter 12, the first three verses. Hebrews, chapter 12. I begin reading in verse 1, read through down to verse 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And God will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. Please bow with me for a moment around the throne and let's seek the Lord together. O Lord, we need Thee. Thou knowest that far better than we would ever know it. And that encourages our souls tonight as we ask for help. We thank Thee that the God we have come to know in Thy Word is not a God who is stingy with His blessing. Thou dost delight to give to thy children to meet the needs of their souls. We pray that thou wilt give abundantly tonight out of those riches that are in Jesus Christ. Lord, it's not only truth that we need. It's faith to believe the truth and to walk in the truth that we need. We pray for eyes to see it clearly in thy word. And all for a will that will walk in the will of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The Christian runner is the theme we're tracing through these opening verses of Hebrews 12. Paul is making use of a well-known athletic event in his day to teach these Hebrew Christians certain fundamental and vital truths concerning the Christian life, especially when that life becomes very difficult. The ancient Olympic Games actually began in the year 776 B.C. When a man by the name of Koroibos 
a cook from a city near Olympia won the Stadion race, a race that was 185 meters in length. In our terms, it would be a 600-yard dash. And yes, you're right if you think that the word stadion sounds like the word stadium, because that's where the word stadium came from. That Greek word could have one of three meanings, depending on its context. It could refer to the actual distance of 185 meters, or it could also be used to speak of a race course or a racetrack where that was run, or it was also the word for the actual place where these races were held, hence our word stadium. At any rate, this 185-foot race was the only athletic event in the ancient Olympic Games for over 50 years. All it was was a 600-yard dash for 50 years. It is to this event to which Paul is referring in the text before us this evening where he exhorts these Hebrew believers who are being tempted because of persecution to give up and go back to their old religion of Judaism. They're being tempted to quit running the race. I made only two points from verse 1 last Lord's Day evening. First, every Christian runner has a great crowd of patrons. Patrons. There's this great cloud of witnesses. He's not talking about Christians looking down from the battlements of heaven. That's not what that verse is about. He's simply following up chapter 11. All those heroes in the hall of faith, they've gone before us. The patrons. Patrons were those who stood on the sidelines and watched the runners run the race and cheered them on, encouraged them, finish the course, finish the race. So they weren't merely spectators in Paul's day. They were actually those who had run the race already. They had finished it. And so those Old Testament saints had run the race of faith. And they, the apostle is saying, they had entered heaven even even though they had not the understanding that we have of the grace of God, of the gospel of God, because they lived in the shadows, in the figures, in the types. And the point that the apostle is making, if they who lived at such a time when they didn't have all the understanding in the revelation that we have now, certainly if they could finish the course, we can finish it as well. No matter how rough it gets, And all you'd have to do is go back and read chapter 11 to see how rough it got for them. We think we have it rough. Nothing like that. When's the last time you were forced to live in a cave? 
Hmm. Power goes out, the AC goes down, we fall to pieces. Not living in a cave. Because you're persecuted. A place to hide. My second and final point last week dealt with the Christian runner's preparation for the race. These Greek runners in the Olympic Games would remove their clothing because it would hinder them. They'd slow them down. It would impede their ability to run as fast as they could. And so you find Paul saying to these Hebrew believers who are tried severely and saying to us that if we're going to run this race aright, then we must put off every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. If it hinders your spiritual life, if it hinders your faith, if it impedes your ability to walk in fellowship with the Lord, if it hurts your prayer life, if it brings about a cooling of your love for the Lord, then it's something you must strive through the grace of God to put off. And it's put off. That means get rid of it. It doesn't mean put it away temporarily. It doesn't mean stick it under the bed or in a closet. Put it off. Get rid of it. It's hindering you. Especially that's true if it weakens your faith. You remember I said last week that the sin... Definitely an article, the sin, which does so easily surround them, was not a reference to just some particular besetting sin of each believer. It was in context, in the big context here, it was the sin of unbelief. That's the sin. You talk about a sin that constantly, so easily surrounds the Lord's people, that causes them trouble in the race, especially when the race gets difficult. It is the sin of unbelief. Paul is telling them to have done with any thinking, with any activity, with anything at all that would be conducive to an evil heart of unbelief. He mentions that way back in chapter 3. Many would not enter into that rest because of that evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief led them to depart from God. Unbelief. The sin against which we must fight the most, the sin which is the foundation and spring from which all other sins in our lives actually flow, is the sin of unbelief. You see, the fact of the matter is, the Christian life is a race. According to what the Holy Ghost is saying here, the Christian life, we must understand it as a race, and it is a race of faith. Therefore, since it is a race of faith, unbelief is the greatest obstacle that every Christian runner must, must war against in his soul. Well, there's much more in this passage than the Christian runner's patrons and preparation as you continue to look.
at the allegory rooted in this Greek athlete. I want you to see in the third place the Christian runner's principle. The Christian runner's principle for the race. And by principle, I'm speaking of the fundamental rule by which he operates and conducts himself in life. It's foundational to his mentality. And that fundamental principle is found in that command in verse 1. Run. What is to be preeminent in, in that Greek athlete's mind was that he is a runner. That's tops everything. I am here to run. Everything I think, everything I say, everything I do must be guided by that underlying principle. Part and parcel to running the race, which of course, we'll get into that, God willing, next week, which obviously entails crossing the finish line, is that the runner, he needs to think as a runner. You already saw in verse 3, Paul says, Lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Okay, that's where the fainting takes place, the mind. It means you and I have to think that we are runners, look at ourselves as runners. So God has not called you, he hasn't called me to be a spectator who just sits on the lines and watches others run the race. We're not spectators. If we're truly Christians, then we are in this race as runners. And we are running the most important race that will ever be run. And if we'll but keep that fact before us, I'm a runner. I'm in a race. Every day, I am running a race. If we'll keep that fact before us, it will keep us focused on what really is important in life. Is this, that, or the other thing going to slow me down in this race? Because I'm a runner. Uh, you know, I, I, I really, really don't think it requires a great amount of theological acumen to find out or to know what something or not is actually hindering you in running as a runner this race. You say, I know the Holy Ghost is within us. And he just puts his finger on something and you know it. That's hurt me. That has not helped me in this race. It slowed me up. Remember, Paul was saying to the Galatians, you did run well. You are running great. What hindered you? Because you're not running well now. We know. If we don't do that, we will find ourselves hindered. Not just in the race in general, but we will really find a problem running when the race course becomes difficult. When it seems like it is unending. The difficulties are on and on and on and on. 
Running becomes hard. You must remember, I'm a runner. It's critical to remember that the Lord has appointed you to be a runner when you, to borrow a term from the marathon runners, when you hit the wall. When a marathon runner hits the wall, they feel like they can't run one more step. But they have to keep running through that. The Lord has told me to run, you must say to yourself, and run until I cross the finish line. There's nothing else for it. There's no other option for me. There is no plan B. I must finish this race. I want you to see the picture the apostle is describing here when he likens Christians to a runner whose great object is to cross the finish line and win the prize. The first thing I want you to consider with me is his performance, the runner's performance. The word translated race was used in Paul's day to refer to the place, the arena, where the Greeks held their contest. Don't confuse that with the word stadion. It's a different word altogether. But it was another one of those words that was used to describe the place where the Greeks held their athletic contest. It was from that fact that this word, because it was the word originally to refer to the place they had the contest, it came to be used to describe a fight or a conflict or a struggle. And that's how this particular word, race, is usually translated, I think, the six times it's found in the New Testament. It's usually translated by the word fight or conflict. Only here it's race because of the word run. Makes sense, right? Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. That's the word. Race in Hebrews 12.1. The Timothys fight the good fight. He said, I have fought the good fight to Timothy. Same word. To shed even more light on what the Holy Spirit is getting at in this whole thing, the Greek word translated race is agon. Agon. I am not for one moment trying to impress you with Greek. Most of my Greek was lost long ago with passage of time. But do you hear the word agon? If I put E on the end of it, now would it ring a bell? Agony? Luke 22, verse 44, Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And being in an agony, agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was in a struggle. He was in conflict. It was a fight. He prayed, warring the battle on his knees. So it speaks of this intense struggle, and therefore nothing, nothing is easy about it. I have to confess to you, I, I hate running. Always have. I enjoy the 50-yard dash, the 100-yard dash, but that's about it as far as enjoying it. As a child, I loved those races. And I was a lot lighter and very fast on my feet. But when I got beyond 100, I detested them. And you talk about running two miles? Agony. Agony. There's nothing easy about running. The apostle is telling these Hebrew Christians who are facing great afflictions... Now listen, you're, you're running a very difficult race. It's a marathon. It's going to be hard. It's going to require that you exert yourself. That you must, you must spend your energy. You, you must strive and, and you must agonize in this race of faith. Because it will only spell trouble for you as far as any advancement is going to be concerned when it comes time to trouble. You won't know how to deal with it. And you'll be tempted to quit. I can't run another step. Christian life is a race, and if you've ever in your life run in a race, especially a long one, you'll know that it requires not only action, but it, it calls for you to put everything into it. Christianity isn't about mm, holding certain abstract theories. It's not all about having great enthusiasm and getting all excited and tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Not what it's about. I would go further and say that it does not consist in merely getting a deeper knowledge of God and His Word. Don't misunderstand me. Christianity, the Christian life, is intimately built up with the understanding and the heart. But Christianity proves it has a true and right hold of the understanding. And the heart is led a believer when you see him running and striving and struggling. He gets it. He, he shows that he understands the truth. He shows that the truth has a grip in his own heart when 
He does strive and he does agonize. And when it gets hard, he keeps on struggling. And when he trips and falls, he gets back up again and starts to run again. Quitters don't do that. Whenever you find a Christian who is healthy spiritually, there you will find a very active Christian runner. He's in a race after all. And how can you be in a race and not run? Think again about this Christian runner as far as his running is concerned. And there's progress. Not only his performance, but his progress. Running speaks of progress. The Christian runner knows he can't stand still. I've got to run. And you, and you can, you know, you can exert all kinds of labor and stand in the same place. Not make cover any ground. But that's not running a race. That's not progress. Indeed, in fact, a, a, a runner can run up and down and back and forth and all around and spend all kinds of, of his energy doing that. Running around, you might say, the proverbial, with a chicken like its head cut off. Just run, 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 run. But he's not running the race because there's no progress don't equate activity don't equate activity with progress because you're busy doesn't mean you're advancing because you're doing so many things religious things doesn't mean you've actually making progress in your spiritual life A man, regardless of how long his Christian profession may be, he cannot say that he is in this race of faith with the people of God if year after year after year after year there is no spiritual progress. Every Christian is in a race, and that means every Christian is running, and that means every Christian is making some degree of progress. Some may run only at a very slow jog. Others may run at a very fast pace. But whether you're jogging or whether you're sprinting or a combination thereof, you're still running. You're still running toward the finish line. And you're making progress. You're getting closer to it. Of course, the more you agonize, the more energy you exert, the more progress you make. As I have said on numerous occasions, the Christian life is really about this. The, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. The less you put into it, the less you get out of it.
the more energy you expend in running the race, the more earnest you are about actually my life is a race. I'm a runner, and I'm running for this finish line that God has put before me. This, this is what I am here for, to run the race of faith, to run through it all. Then guess what? The more you do that, the more advancement you make. The less you do that, the less advancement you make. I know that God is absolutely sovereign. I know that as far as the depth of our spiritual experience is concerned, it's God who works within us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. That statement is as plain as it gets. It's God working in you both to will, to create the desire, and the power to do according to His will. I also realize that As Paul went on to say, I am to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm to work this, what God has worked in me, out. And working out this salvation means I am going to run this race. I'm being told to run in this verse. And I know that's the will of God for me. And I know that's the will of God for you. Not to dawdle. Not to sit down on the sidelines and be a spectator and watch others run. But to actually run yourself. All too easily, we lose sight of the fact that this is this life of ours is a race after all, and that we are to run in this race in order to make progress. We forget that. We live as if our spiritual progress isn't too high on our list of priorities. It's not that important to us. And we prove that when we neglect the very things that help us to run, that strengthen us for the race. Other things take first place. They become our idols. They become our gods. We look to them. They become more important to us. And that always trips us up. We we, we could be a long way down the track, much further than we are, but we forgot we're running a race. To change metaphors, we forgot that we're strangers and pilgrims in this world and it's not our home and we better not get settled down here as if it is our home. This life's about the next life. It is about living in light of eternity. The third thing you see about this Christian runner is his perseverance. Paul goes on to say that we are to run this race with patience. Patience. There's the rub, is it not? That's the hard part. It's it's doing it with patience. Every year, that's how it was when I went to the university that I went to, you had to, every year for phys ed, run a two-mile course. Part of the requirements. I can tell you one thing, if it wasn't part of the requirements, I wouldn't have done it. If you could stop after one lap, I'd have stopped. 
but you really got a very bad grade if you did that, and it's the grade that motivated me, see, it was the grade. Not any benefit I was going to get from running eight times around a quarter mile lap track. So you had to persevere. You know, some just blew right by me. Many of them did. They were, they loved running. Me, I'm just plodding along. But I had to finish it. He says that to run this race, you have to endure, you have to persevere. You can't quit. You can't give up because the idea is if you quit and you don't give up, like some of those Hebrews who had professed to be Christians and they apostatized, they saw so many things, they had so many privileges externally, but they walked away from it all because they could not deal with the problem and the affliction and the persecution. And they walked away from it. It got difficult. It's hard. But they just ended up showing they weren't true believers after all. Because true believers are never going to apostatize. That doesn't prevent the Holy Ghost from saying, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. It does not prevent God from warning His word, You better finish. Don't quit. Don't look back. Keep on going. Keep on running. But oh my, we can get to a place where we're not running well. And we need to hear it when we're not running well because things have just turned upside down. We need to hear those words, run this race with patience. You just keep running. I wonder how many Christians there are who started the race running so well how enthusiastic they were how zealous and ambitious their pace was but something something happened and if that's your case perhaps you've wondered if you're in the race at all Something has hindered you. You're not running well anymore. You haven't been enduring. Maybe it was the job it began to take you away from running this race of faith. Maybe you let the family get in the way. You thought it was more important to take care of your family than to take care of your own soul. That's twisted thinking. You can't take care of your family if you can't take care of your soul. Perhaps you've had a few bad experiences with other Christians. But whatever it is, you feel that like the Galatians, something is hindering you. And it's hard. 
run with patience. Persevere. No matter how hard it gets, keep running. No matter how bleak it gets, keep running. No matter how tired you get, keep running. So I got to stop off and ask the question, are you running well? I can't answer that. For myself, not for you. Are you running well? To run well means you persevere. You keep at it. You don't try to get out from the race to escape it, to somehow slack off. The thought of sitting down as a spectator is an abomination to you? No, you want to be able to say, I finished my course. Are you running well? I look in the fourth place now at the Christian runner's portion. His portion. Note that he says in verse 1 that this race is set before us. Uh, A very interesting phrase, the word set means appointed, determined, destined. Predetermined. It's been fixed. It's been appointed by God. The course that you and I have to run has already been determined by the Lord. Nothing happens by chance in your life. Not one event is a happenstance. Paul is alluding to the fact that the course the runners were to run was determined and appointed by the judges. Here's the course. The judges said, here's the course. You have no options. This is the course you have to run. There was no complaint they could lodge with the commission. You want to run the race? Then this is the course you've got to run. The truth in this verse is that there is a course that God has appointed for us to run. It's fixed. We have no choice but to run it. It'd be foolish to complain about it. It's a waste of time to wish it was some other course. You know your heart, I think, I hope well enough to know that if it was available and you could get another course, it wouldn't be long before you'd wish you had another course. Give me something else. I don't like this one. You have a a lot in life that's been appointed by the Lord. It encompasses everything. No detail has been left out. You have a course that you must run. And I have a course fixed by God that I must run. 
not only is it futile to argue with God about the course, but it's wrong to do that. And to argue with God about the course, to complain about the course He's appointed for you, and to say you can't take the course, it's not a good course, you should have given me another course in life to run, to say that is not only an offense to God, but it's also going to hinder you in your progress. I mean, there is deep theological truth behind what I'm saying. This is very simply what the illustration is showing us. Nobody's course is easy. And God never said any course would be easy. Matter of fact, He promised us it was going to be hard. That's why there's this need to see ourselves as runners who must endure. Even when the course gets very difficult like it was for these Hebrew Christians. Children are taken from their parents because their parents are Christians. God says, you keep on running. Husbands separated from wives, put to death. What am I to do? You keep on running. This is the course that I have appointed for you. I did this, God says. After all, we're runners, right? We're runners. We're in a race. We all have what the old Scottish divine Thomas Boston called a crook in our lot. A crook in our lot in life. A crook is an unexpected bend or twist in the road, in this case, on the race course. There's no, there's no lot for any of the Lord's people this side of heaven that is without a crook, crooked place. We want, be honest, we would like to have wouldn't you like to have this, this, this race course? Wouldn't you like it was always downhill? Flat? But it's not. As you run, you're going to come along things along this road, and they're going to blow you away. You weren't expecting them. You can't. You can't fix the course. You can't alter it. Why Solomon said, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 3, Consider the work of God, 
For who can make that straight which he has made crooked? No way in the world you're going to make the crooks go away. It's there by God's making. God has appointed the straight downhill parts of the course, and I thank the Lord when they come, but the same God has appointed the uphill struggles and the potholes and the twists and the curves, the problems and the afflictions and the losses. It's His doing. Thomas Boston himself had a very severe crook in his life. Banner of Truth puts out a a biography on Thomas Boston, one of the first ones I read years ago when I came into the ministry, and it was an eye-opener for me. Some of it's autobiographical. It's from his diary. Others just facts historically known. But his wife was troubled with mental illness. It was so bad she had to be locked up in a bedroom for weeks at a time. He's a minister. He's pastoring the church. His wife goes off the rails completely. He was just a man. And because he was just a man, he would go out to the outhouse behind his house and weep so his children wouldn't see him. He also wrote a book called The Crook in the Lot. These, these Hebrew believers were dealing with many a cross, many a heartache, many a crooked curve in the path. But ultimately, no matter what the devil was doing, ultimately, It was all God's doing, wasn't it? Do you think Satan does one thing without divine permission? I mean, who's God after all? The Lord. You see, these Hebrew Christians... The Lord could have held back the wrath of their enemies. He could have just shut them down. He's God, right? But that was not his will to do that. He permitted Nero to boil them to death, to set them on fire. He permitted that. 
was part of the course that they had to run and run to the end. You could see why old Cowper would say that God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. When God sees fit, when he sees fit to bend something in your life, it's not your place and it's not within your power to straighten it out. I'm never saying there's, there's never a remedy for these crooks and our lot for these bends in our race course. Man, you talk about a crook in the lot. If ever there was a man who had a crook in the lot, it was Job. But you know how it worked out. He got children again, and the Lord shone upon him again. But there was nothing Job could do to make that part of the course change. He had to go through it. We will suffer great losses of progress in this race of faith if we do not run the appointed course, the course that God has appointed for us and submit to the crooks that he has placed in our lot. Runners don't quit. They don't look for an excuse to quit. You see, the thing is, if, if, if the child of God will use that crook in his lot, if he'll just run the course that God has appointed him to run without balking at it, without trying to resist it, all the while praying, it will be used not to slow him down, but to actually give him increase in running the race and making progress. For after all, that's what the crooks in the lot are about. That's what these crooks and these twists and bends and this appointed course are all about. It's all about bringing us further along down the road. God never said sends a crook to slow you up, folks. He never puts a twist in the road to slow you up, to bring about a lack of progress in your life, but to bring about an increase of progress. Right? There are many now who have crossed the finish line who are now in heaven and they're blessing God for the crook he put in their lot for the curve he put in their life in the race of faith 
you really don't gain from a race course that's downhill all the time. Well, there's more. We'll come back next week to see that. For now, run the race well, folks. Run it well. The Lord read His Word on our souls for His name's sake. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we confess tonight that we could be far better runners than we are. We understand why we need the continual admonition from thy word to lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily beset us. We get it, Lord, why we need to run the race with patience, to be told to do that, because by nature we are a very impatient lot. But we thank Thee, Father, for Thy tender mercy, having pity on us and understanding what we really need. So, Lord, this is Thy command to run the race with patience. And we thank Thee and we can praise Thee that what Thou hast commanded us to do, Thou wilt provide us the grace to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Take our thanks, Lord, for this refreshment we're about to eat. Strengthen us and our bodies with the food and our own souls with the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.